You're listening to the Garden City Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Garden City is doing, you can go to GardenCityNW.com slash give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Welcome to our new series, Asking for a Friend. Curiosity, discovery, exploration, debate are things that are welcomed by God, and we welcome this as an essential part of developing and growing faith at Garden City Church. I love this verse in Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together. I love this translation of the same verse, come on now, let's walk and talk and let's work this out. And this series, we're going to be going through questions that you might have, our friends might have. And so I want to encourage you, send in any questions you might have about the Bible or faith or life, and we'll do our best to, to answer them or, or to have a response for them. And our goal for this series isn't to just have uh, you know an easy answer for everything. Questions lead to complex thinking. And so my goal is to maybe just uh, have responses that point to like a trailhead, a starting point where you can kind of go on a journey and, and discover and dig as deep as you want. So with that said, let's jump in. My name is Andrew Brager. As I think about my faith journey, kind of the, the model that I would use, the way that I would use to describe it as a movement from simplicity to complexity to some perplexity, and finally to the space of unity. I think my faith tradition that I adopted or sort of took on later in life was very much a black or white sort of fundamentalist Calvinist perspective until the COVID-19 pandemic. And COVID-19 really provided me with the space and time that I needed to evaluate my own faith with a critical lens and really consider what it is I believe and why I believe those things. Needless to say, it helped me to see that this black and white understanding that I'd constructed about faith and my approach to the world uh, didn't really fit anymore. The whole thing came crashing down very quickly and found myself in this uh, pretty dramatic experience of doubt and, and deconstruction, you might say, as well. Take God, and we very much put him in this sort of box, this, this structure. And for me now, that box is burned down, like that whole religious architecture, mental architecture that I use to map out my life and think about the world. None of that exists anymore. We talk about the Christian faith as modeled after life, death, resurrection, and I definitely went through that sort of death-like experience. A lot of my prior beliefs, the things that I held dear, my assumptions about people and the world, all of that came unraveling. All of it came unraveled, and it was a difficult experience for sure. As I think about sort of reconstructing a new faith, I think there's just two simple principles that have been helpful to me. First is the idea that God is love, simply that God is love. Uh, It's a clear statement that we have. And then likewise, the idea that God is like Jesus, that God is love and God is like Jesus. I think those are two simple principles I can use to, to navigate a new sort of faith. Still a lot of uncertainty, still more questions and doubts than there is hard, firm beliefs, but that's a space that I'm actually now comfortable being in that space, feeling like I don't have all the answers and I don't need all the answers either. I think that dialogue and navigating faith transitions or deconstruction experiences in the context of a faith community is, is absolutely critical. One of the sad reflections that I have thinking about my own spiritual journey is that my, my deconstruction experience was very much done in isolation. 
it was not done in the context of, of being able to have maybe psychological safety to bring up doubts, to bring up concerns, because the religious traditions that I belong to, your membership in the community is contingent on you believing the right things and believing them hard enough. So grateful for the opportunity to have built some friendships over the last couple of years and truly be myself with those individuals uh, and being able to share, this is who I am and this is what I think about God and, and the nature of things and there not be judgment or condemnation or, or othering or anything, a feeling of, of being threatened by those sorts of perspectives has really helped me grow and help me thrive. And I think that what God wants for me, what God wants for my family is to be authentically ourself and you know, being able to have that honesty and that vulnerability uh, to grow in relationship. And that's where I think real spiritual transformation and growth and maturity can really take place. There's still elements of faith and spirituality and an interest in, in God and in Jesus like that hasn't left. I'm just not so certain about, you know, kind of over simplistic. And a lot of it, to be fair, is probably just reaction to my own kind of religious baggage, kind of more Calvinistic religious fundamentalism and realizing that there are different approaches. There are different perspectives that are healthier, that are you know, more true and beautiful, and I think more in line with the model and lifestyle of Jesus. Is it okay to be a Christian if you have doubts? Yes. Faith is about exploration and discovery. I think Jesus is a great example of discovering the truth together. He, he embraced curiosity, discovery, exploration, to, to see the truth and learn more about the truth. Not using the truth as like a sword to divide the winners from the losers. If you look in the stories of scripture, you see all kinds of people that went through seasons of doubt or it was doubt was maybe just a part of their, their process or their personality. Like Thomas, who is often known as Doubting Thomas, um, struggled with some doubt about Jesus. You see uh, Nicodemus, who's got questions about you know, his religious background and who Jesus is. You can see some of the closest disciples to Jesus struggling with skepticism and doubt as they journeyed with him. It's so important to explore the truth together. Jesus was always bringing people around him for that. It's important to remember all truth is God's truth. Wherever it may be found, yes, the Bible is so important, but the Bible creates a lens to help us see where God's at work in the world. And God is, his truth is at work in the world he created. Other religions, philosophies, and areas of study have treasures of truth that we can learn from and appreciate. The key for us is being able to show and share how those treasures find their origin and greatest meaning, and maybe even their best use when they're connected to Jesus, when you see where they are as gifts from God. Don't all religious paths lead to the same God? This is a really common question that, that people have like, Aren't all religions really kind of getting at the, the same thing and end up in the same place? But when you really look at it, it can appear that way at first, but when you really look at it, just like when you're on a you know, path in the woods, paths can take you to very different places, and they don't necessarily bring you all to the same place. There's a verse in the book of John that's helpful with this. Jesus said, I am the path, the truth, and the energy of life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So on the surface, this verse can seem very exclusive, like there's only one way to God. And that's, that's, a, that's true. But uh, we can miss the other aspect of what Jesus is saying. So here's something that can help us with the question about maybe the paths that we're thinking about um, with faith, religion, or philosophy. There's one path to God the Father. There are many paths to Jesus, and not all paths lead to Jesus. So I just think that's so important. There's one path to God and that 
to the Father, and that's Jesus. But there's many paths to Jesus. So the Christianity has does have like a narrowing, but it also has a width for anybody who would come to Jesus. Think about how many different types of people with different types of stories have come to Jesus. Paul was blinded on a trip while he was persecuting the church and an enemy of Jesus. He found Jesus. Jesus was the bridge and path to God. There is an Ethiopian administrator in the book of Luke, and a guy named Philip was brought alongside and helped him understand the scriptures. Like out of nowhere, this this guy from Ethiopia uh, meets Jesus through the power of God's spirit and this Christian man named Philip. It's incredible. Lydia was a businesswoman, and she found Christ or found Jesus when she was praying down by the river and encountered the missionary Paul. And her background was just very different than many of the other disciples in in that time. Think about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who's from the enemy culture of the Jews at that day. She had one conversation with Jesus and it changed her life. Think about Cornelius, this man who's uh, Gentile, he's non-Jewish, has a dream and vision that leads him to Peter and eventually leads him to meeting and encountering Jesus. Scott McKnight recognizes a story, a friend of his, who met Jesus in a dream after studying the Quran. All these people are coming from different places and different backgrounds, and all of them encounter Jesus. There's one way to God the Father, that's Jesus, but there's many ways to Jesus. This means that God works in different ways with different people at different times, in different paths to Christ. But not all paths lead to Jesus. An example of this was uh, the rich young ruler is uh, someone written about in scripture. He comes up to Jesus and has a conversation about his life and how he's, he's, he's prepared his life to really follow Jesus and live the way of the kingdom. But Jesus says, hey, there's one more thing you need to do is to let go of all your money. And in this moment, you see that this man has to take the path of like letting his money lead him or letting Jesus lead him. So wait, what is he going to do? Take the path where money leads or Christ? And so not every path leads to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying is that like you can't have money and follow Jesus. What it's saying is like there are paths that guide our lives. Are we going to take a path that is led by Jesus? Why are so many Christians moving to other regions or states over politics? This is a really interesting phenomenon. And I don't know the full reasons, but... Um, I think it's important to remember key verses like this. Work for the flourishing of the city I've sent you to. Pray to the Lord for that city. If it flourishes, you too will flourish. God's writing to some people who have been exiled to a city they don't want to be in with a group and a culture and in communities that they don't want to be in. And it's really easy for our human impulse to be, I want to escape, I want to hit the eject button, I want to leave, I want to flee. But God says, hey, you're not stuck there, you're sent uh, to this city. And so I think it's important to, to change our, our mindset from like cursing or just complaining about the places that God has placed us in and pray and work for its flourishing. Like realize like I, maybe God has me here to be part of a po- positive change, even if I don't like the politics or the values or the, you know, just the aspects of the culture that I live in. It's important to remember that when this verse was written, there were, it was to people that were exiled to bless the culture. They weren't exiled to flee the culture. The last thing I'll say is we're called to seek the flourishing of cities and people who might be oppositional to our values. 
And Jesus has sent us into a broken world, not called us to escape a broken world. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And Jesus didn't like flee from the culture. He engaged and loved and served the culture. How do I read the Bible? This is a really important question. I don't know a book that has transformed more lives than the Bible has over the centuries. And we know it's an important book because the Bible is something that is to be stewarded well. If you steward it poorly, it can hurt and harm people. And we've seen that throughout the centuries. But when it's stewarded well, it's such a source of life and transformation. So I would just want to encourage you and give you some simple ways to approach the Bible. Here's three key ways to approach the Bible. The first one is humbly. You know, develop an awareness of your lens and your perspective that you come to when you come to Scripture. So you can be, maybe we can be humble and learn from other people and realize like, hey, my perspective isn't the only one in town when I'm, when I'm interpreting and looking at the Scriptures. And we need to be open to being challenged and changed by the Scripture, by the Word being willing to be humble and, and maybe be challenged in our thinking. Just realizing that when we, when we come to the scriptures humbly, we're not, we're not using the Bible as a weapon or a wall, something to hurt people or keep people out, but it's a source of life. We want the, the, the Bible to be more like a well where you come to it for like actual life-giving water. So let's be humble when we approach it. The other one is approaching the Bible holistically. When we approach the Bible holistically, we recognize that there's cultural, historical context that it was written in, genre context. We understand that there's, you know, no single passage read by itself is the totality. We need to read holistically in context. Reading holistically also reminds us to read the scriptures in light of Jesus and with the context of Jesus and the whole of scripture. This leads to the third thing, which is uh, learning to read the Bible in community. When we read the scriptures communally, we read it together, and we are discerning and learning together. You also understand that the Holy Spirit and the community of faith work in concert together. Reading communally reminds us that we not only stand shoulder to shoulder, to shoulder with other Christians, even if we disagree on certain points, um, but we also stand on the shoulders of past saints and others who have come before us. We're reading in this larger community and I think that helps us read in dialogue, humility, and holistically when we read communally. There's a lot of different ways to read the Bible. The best way to read it is the way that's best for you. Some people like to read it daily, like little chunks. Some people might even have like a devotional that that helps them go through some of the scriptures. I just, you know, some people read on their phones. Best way for me is to actually open it up. And I try to get in it every day. But um, if I don't, like I don't beat myself up, I, I kind of look at, you know, it kind of like putting on lenses to help you see the world a little differently. And I like stories, so I like to read the Bible in bigger chunks. Sometimes I'll read it in a big chunk and I'll think about it for a few days and I'll just keep coming back to that big chunk. The important thing is find out what, what's best for you, start there, and then just build your ability to read scripture from there. And who knows where, where it will take you. Do I have to choose between science and faith to be a Christian? You don't have to choose between science and faith to be a, a Christian. Science and faith, I believe, go together. See, I have kind of the, the peanut butter and chocolate theory on this. Uh, peanut butter is really good by itself. Chocolate's really good by itself. But when you put them together, it's amazing. Unless you have an allergy. Um, don't eat peanut butter if you've got an allergy. 
but chocolate and peanut butter go together. And that's just like science and faith. I've heard it said the great partnership is between science and faith and they work together. Now, faith and science are asking different questions and serve different purposes. I think that's important. Science is really asking the question of how does this work? Science discovers how God's world works. Now, faith asks this question, what does this mean? Faith discovers what God's world means. Francis Collins is a scientist and a Christian. He's actually the former director of the National Human Genome Research Institute and the former director of the National Institutes of Health. He said this, there are answers that science isn't able able to provide about the natural world. The questions about why instead of the questions about how. I'm interested in the whys. I find many of those answers in the spiritual realm. And in no way do they compromise my ability to think rigorously as a scientist. That's powerful from a really strong Christian and a really strong scientist. He also said, I actually do not believe that there's any collision between what I believe as a Christian and what I know and have learned about as a scientist. We need more partnership between the world of science and faith. Less angst, less division. The greatest thinkers and creators in history have embraced the mysterious connection between science and faith. Again, Francis Collins said, Today, we are learning the language in which God created life. We are gaining even more awe for the complexity, the beauty, and the wonder of God's most divine and sacred gift. I think that's a beautiful picture of how faith and science go together. It's chocolate and peanut butter. I hope you are enjoying our series, Asking for a Friend. I want to encourage you, if you know somebody that this would help, bring them along. You know, text them the link. And if you've got questions or you have friends that have questions, send them in to us, message us, and uh, we'll do our best to respond to it. Guys, I love you so much. Thanks for joining in. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Garden City Church, reach out at info at gardencitynw.com or click contact in our show notes. Garden City services are made possible by your generosity. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.